Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Daniel, it has been a while since I've been sitting here and staring at you across the screen, and I can't say whether I'm disappointed or not, or we might burn a friendship here. Dude, it's been, it's been, uh, it's weird. We haven't been solo in so long, just the two of us. It's, it's, uh. It's like a good and a bad thing. I'm excited to just be here with you. We, we're going to chop it up a little bit, but also like we've had so many awesome guests throughout the like off season um, that I can't complain that sometimes good for us. We'll see where it takes us. Strengthen our relationship a little bit here, and it'll be fascinating <laughs> to see whether or, or not we're going to be able to have a conversation without having to ask a question, right? Like every time when we have a guest on, you have to return an answer with a question, um, and we don't have to do that today. It's going to be kind of point and then point back to you, and, and we'll see where that goes. In full transparency, we've been doing a little self-scout, and I think we've been doing a lot of self-scout for uh, like interview-wise, and it's going to be interesting to see if any of our self-scout for interviews carries over to the the one-on-one podcast. If there's any podcasting consulting firms out there that would like to listen to all our episodes and give us some feedback so Dan and I don't have to do it to ourselves, uh, by all means, we are we are an open book waiting to be evaluated. Yeah, and also we're playing the Spectrum Internet game, so that's also going to be fun. This is—I feel like we're—I feel like we're way back in the. Uh, we've been doing so many in-person things that everything's just smooth sailing. We're back on, on, uh, online, and we're doing the Spectrum Internet game where we'll see if there's weird delays between the two of us talking too. It's just fun. You never know what's going to happen. You never know, and and I'm sure a dog will be barking in the background, and and we'll go from there. So you mentioned doing a lot of stuff in person, so. Let's talk about that a little bit. What was your favorite part about being able to sit down and interview somebody in person? We don't have to say anybody specific, but what what's kind of the be- the pros and maybe even some cons of sitting there across from somebody and having to formulate a conversation and while also having it recorded? Yeah, I think it obviously goes without saying um, how wonderful everyone has been to accept us into their program and onto their campus and, and to show us around that obviously we're very thankful and hopefully they know that. Um, it was weird. I think it took a long time to get used to a little bit of an adjustment just because we've been spending full days on camera and it's very different than when you and I are just sitting right here like this. Um, I, I think it in the beginning it was kind of like a, it was obviously different in the beginning. It was like, Oh, like just the flow, how is this going to flow? Especially with me and you trying not to step on each other. Um, when we're asking questions and like letting the, whoever we're talking to, let them get their point across and let it breathe. And then, uh, I think it kind of turned into, it's almost more natural and more of a conversation. I prefer it now. I think definitely. I would agree with that. It's, it is interesting to kind of see, um, 
trying to bounce off of each other. I think we do a good job of kind of having a feel for when the conversation's turning to maybe what would be deemed one of our strengths and being able to, Hey, it's my time to follow up or whether we like tap each other or something like a couple taps on the leg or something to get your attention to make sure that I'm going to follow up or, or whatnot. But I think what's really cool about being able to interview in person as well, on top of obviously being able to be on campus is just seeing the light bulb come on for like a relationship being built, uh, being able to kind of have a conversation with somebody. And at first it's like buttoned up interview talk of like, yeah, excited about the guys for the spring. Uh, you know, just the kind of stuff that you hear every head coach or, or assistant coach say, And then after a while, it becomes, no, like we're going to get in the weeds here. We're going to talk a little bit in detail about whatever the topics would be, whether it was Coach Mams talking about offense and hearing him dive into the weeds about, you know, what's led to a lot of success where everywhere he's been. And then or whether it was Coach Walters talking about, you know, just being able to build a culture and being somewhere for 15 years entering his 15th season and and how he's changed and adapted over time and and everything of that nature. And then obviously Coach Chester being our first in-person interview that we did. Seriously, I think he might have been our first in-person interview in general and, and being able to to kind of feed off that and see how it was going to go. I know for a fact I was nervous about that one, but what a better place. There couldn't be a better place in, on the planet to be for our first in-person interview than than Boiling Springs, North Carolina with that crew of guys because that that was a phenomenal and enjoyable uh, day for us. And, and I really enjoy that side of like the in-person stuff is it's not as buttoned up as – remote can be where you actually kind of feel the vibes and you feel like the the person actually getting into what you're talking and head in a good direction yeah I think you you hit it in the beginning there when you talked about like kind of the building the relationship piece I think that was that's like the the that's what makes the in-person stuff it's so much more genuine it's so much easier to connect with someone than when you're sitting via camera like it and all the guests we've had online have been great and no one's ever, you know, we're very fortunate. We haven't run into any situation, uncomfortable interviews, really. Um, but just the fact that when you're in person, like you said, you can like you can almost feel that moment when they're like, everyone's comfortable. You and I, them. And that just that makes it really cool. And everyone, I mean, those guys in Boiling Springs at Gardner Webb were, were great top down. And obviously we have a great relationship with Tommy, um, who's one of our best friends. So like welcome in and then. Guys, and, and I think the coolest part too is like we see when you get to build that relationship and you get to be on campus with them and see their players and see their program, you get a peek into what you don't see. When we sit and we watch these teams play or you just are box score watching or whatever, you don't there there's no personality to it. Their names, their numbers, their you know, you judge them from just sports specific instead of the people and like, you know, the guys at Delaware, how incredible they were. Um just as, as people and, and like how much fun that day was getting to know them and, and getting to know coach Mams. And I know that day was like, I think even an extra cool, or I don't, that's a terrible way of phrasing that, but um, it was really kind of special for you and I, because that's our home state and that's a program that we, we know well before. And now, you know, Mams and that staff are in their second year and getting to know those guys was really, really um, kind of special. And then, I mean, the guys at Virginia Tech, right on down to the guys at Virginia Tech who, what a special campus and, and program they, what they've got going on there is, is pretty cool. And weight kind of goes without saying. The consulting firm already circled extra cool. We, we recorded that, that was brutal. <laughs> that was brutal. I don't know. 
But I mean, obviously we got, we got a lot of stuff on camera when we went to these campuses. And I think that one of the coolest things was being behind the scenes. I mean, each campus had a different environment. We were at Gardner Webb around Thanksgiving. So not really any guys around campus, but you could kind of see where they were heading in terms of growth and, and what they're hoping to accomplish. And then Delaware was Christmas break. So campus was a, was a dead zone, but being able to talk to them and, and kind of buy into what they're doing. And then as we've transitioned into the new year, like being on campus for guys getting their work in has been a whole nother experience, like walking around wake and just being able to see, you know, like, again, like we're, we're basically bumping shoulders with Josh Hartle as he's walking down the hallway. And again, we're, we're polite enough to not pull him aside and, and try to get 15, 10, 10, 15 minutes of his time and, and groom him about the, how the season's going to go. But you see that guy put in his work. And as I mentioned to you several times, I felt like when I saw him, you know, sauntering around the pitching lab is, this dude is a lot bigger than you think. Huge. You stand next. He is tall. He is long, and he must get down that mound. And then, not to mention, obviously, the other guys at that program being able to watch Nick Kurtz be around there, and then even being able to watch the guys who were around last year, the Brett Lauders, Kamenasis, the Tommy Hawks of the world that are still hanging around campus before they head out to spring was really cool, and it's a testament to the culture, but. You could tell that team is buying into what they're hoping to build. Coach Walters mentioned them multiple times that they feel like they are now a destination program. And you can feel that there is a high level of belief that they think when Omaha comes around that they're going to be the team standing at the at the end of it with the championship being held over their head. And you could feel that. I think that was one of the coolest things about being at Wake and seeing the guys. Not that I don't think that we would feel the same vibes at Gardner-Webb or at Delaware if the guys were there getting their work in. But feeling the the vibe of how much that culture believes in what they're building and how much that culture believes in how capable they are, a lot of fun and cool to see. Yeah, like you, I I, I agree. I think that every place had its kind of unique feeling, and you could walk around and um, Gardner Webb was like very, you know, you, you could almost sense, and I don't want to speak for them, but I felt like I got a feeling of like they were very like happy that like. We feel like we have something that we're starting to build here. Coach Chester's starting to really set the – like he's got the culture in place. They're starting to get their guys in. They feel like they're they're making strides in the Big South. And you could tell that they were excited to tell us about that and like they wanted to get the word out there. And then Delaware – like they're, they're kind of almost like one step behind just because Mams is in his second year where they were like, look at all this stuff we have. Like we want everyone to know. And then as you said, like wake, it's like, no, this is business. Like when you got on wakes campus, it was like, it was time for it's all business. They are, they are, they have one thing on their mind. They are trying to become the best players they can be to get there. And also I think like you mentioned, adding in the effect there, of the pro guys that were back, like just like every other, it was like every other player was like guy on the roster guy in the pros that's working out there. Like every other person you walk by, um, which was, it was an interesting dynamic. And then Virginia tech, like you could feel that they felt like so connected and we didn't get as much. I think feel like we had more time around those kids, like as a whole, like more of a group at Virginia tech where you could feel like those guys really love each. Like that program feels very tight knit right now. Like coach chef's got a, a program that is like close and, and like from coaches down to the players, like how they all interact with each other. It was like, that was like an, its own different feeling. So it was, um, yeah, we're lucky that we've had that opportunity and hopefully we can continue to, to to go to some more more stops because it's been 
I mean, it's just so cool to get that peek behind the curtain that you don't get every day. And like, again, how welcoming everyone's been to us. Yeah, and compliments to Coach Chef because that was what I was going to say next of at Virginia Tech. Not that everywhere else wasn't a welcoming environment, but you could tell that like, I mean, how you treat a stranger is a lot like, and we don't expect to be treated like we're something special. Like we want to be in the background of the work that you normally put in, but just how those guys interacted with us, even in passing of like, hey, like just how are you guys doing? Like, thank you for coming out, stuff like that, which was very unique. And it shows that the culture that they've built, I mean, Tyson, who's been on the podcast, who's an absolute stud and we have nothing but, but love for Tyson. And he's been there for five years and he's the longest tenured coach on staff outside of a GA who played there. So everybody on staff has been there for five plus years. And I think that says a lot about the culture that coach chef has built there in Blacksburg and build it in Blacksburg is what their acronym is. And being able to see guys that are willing to stick around and be a part of that program for a very, very long time is awesome. And you could feel that the culture was, again, I say it's compliments to, to them because how you treat a stranger, I think kind of says a lot about, um, the identity of what you're trying to carry as a program. And they were about as welcoming to us. And again, just a group of guys that like, I'm going to be fired up to watch those guys go out there and compete for the guys that were willing to be on camera for the guys that were stood there and was like, Hey guys, like, let's make sure we clean up the locker room before they come in here. Just the little things that we definitely took notice of. And, you know, whether we've been in college programs or not, you kind of can feel that vibe and that culture that they have. And again, just compliments to coach chef and what they've built there, because you can tell that like when you say it's a group of guys that love each other and they seem to have something rolling there and, terms of culture and and obviously we believe that on field this year is going to be a good year for them as well after talking to them and getting to see some guys swing the bat um it's going to be a lot of fun but i really think that that was kind of the coolest part about being there is like i felt like i was there for five years like by the end of it like i would have sat down and i would have went had dinner with coach chef when he pulled away if because that's how comfortable it felt being in blacksburg for the time that we were yeah i mean you just you just nailed that like i they were incredibly welcoming, and let me tell you something: those boys can swing. Those boys, yeah, that team's going to swing it this year. I think. I think a lot of people, like you know, that super regional team a couple years ago was really, really talented offensively, and I think you know, especially if Carson Demartini's healthy, um, just from being around and seeing kind of what they they have going on, especially on the offensive side of things. Um, now they're they're doing great work on the pitching side too. Don't get me wrong, but offensively, I, they're going to swing the bat. No, no doubt, no doubt. I would definitely agree with that. And whether we want to have tit for tat over which ballpark plays the smallest during the springtime, <laughs> we don't have to worry about about that between between the feud small. of the yeah between the feud <laughs> of the schools that we might have attended to uh, this. Uh, this uh, winter, but um, obviously kind of some more housekeeping topics as well. Uh, what the podcast is going to look like for any of our loyal listeners who have been around since day one. A, first off, we appreciate you. Make sure you head down and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which has been a lot of content that we're pushing out, whether it be from some episodes specifically 
or just in video form of some of the fun stuff we've been able to do off of the recorded platform of the podcast. So make sure you're subscribing to the podcast because I know over 80% of our uh, viewership on YouTube is unsubscribed. So let's make sure we're getting that done as soon as possible. But B, what the podcast is going to look like for the spring season. I think in terms of what Dan and I feel like, I guess, is our expertise. We spent a lot of time covering MLB last year. We're going to go all in on the college baseball content, and we're super excited about that. Now, what is that exactly going to look like? We're still ironing it out the details of whether it's going to be preview review every week, whether we're still going to try to have guests on, which I think we will in some form of frequency. But obviously, we understand that everybody has a schedule this time of year and making sure that we're not overstepping our boundaries on what people are comfortable with in terms of their interviews. So maybe some shorter form interviews or even just focusing on what's happening on the field each and every weekend, making sure we're following that. That'll bleed a little bit, obviously, into some draft conversations, having some fun with that, being able to evaluate some players, talk in detail about that for anybody who might be interested in the draft side of things. So it's going to be a lot of college baseball content over the next couple months. Uh, We feel like that's something that's going to be our strength moving forward with some of the connections that we have across college baseball as we continue to build what we're hoping to be one of everybody's homes for college baseball content because it's a sport that's obviously growing in the landscape and we hope to be on the forefront of helping grow the game any way possible so um, Dan I don't know if you have any thoughts on that for what's moving forward with the podcast but uh, just wanted to give our listeners kind of a heads up over the next you know three to six months yeah I I think it's uh we're trying to we're trying to help grow the game and, and and highlight college baseball because like we just mentioned we're trying to take you on campus and do the, the certain things we've done and interview as many people as we can because there's so many good people in the game of college baseball and and it's it's special and it's a, a lot of fun and we hope that everyone enjoys it as well and if you'd like to see a certain something in the college space hit us up hit us up on socials let us know and and um hit us up personally i know a lot of you probably have a way to us personally uh hit us up you know shoot me and trevor a text if you want to see something we'll try and get it done Yeah, the quicker we subscribe to, maybe, maybe, who knows? We might be coming to you live from Omaha. I mean, we're not guaranteeing anything right there. It's a tough time of year for one of us in particular, um, and we're not going to say who, so I don't scapegoat myself in that realm of who exactly might be getting married. Yeah, who might be getting married during the College World Series. But, you know, we if if we get enough subscribers and if you guys show enough love and share with five friends and head home and grab your mom's phone, subscribe on YouTube, grab grandma's phone, subscribe on YouTube, brother, sister, uh, cousins. Make sure if you're heading out anywhere, tonight's Super Bowl, so I can't tell you to do that. But any, any family gatherings that you're at, at just – Pull everybody's phone out. Go to the Backside Ground Balls YouTube page. Head on there. Click subscribe. Make sure you're showing love. Throw a comment and a like to each and every one of our videos. Help boost our numbers up so we can be uh, on the road a little bit more and make sure we're doing good content and continuing in the in the direction that we're heading. But let's transition more into the 2024 season. Obviously, this is going to come out the Monday before the the opening days for every college baseball team, or should I say mostly every division one college baseball team. So division, a lot of content previewing it, um, making sure that we're prepared for and preparing our listeners for what we're hoping to expect. So Dan, I mean, just broad picture stroke here or two during the 2024 season. Yeah. I just think that, um, 
and I, I feel like we're, I'll say this every year, but the talent level just continues to rise and, and the way baseball is being played and the more and more you like the more in depth and obviously behind the scenes we've gotten to see is like, there's a reason for it. And it's so obvious. It's like the people that are a lot of the people that are running these programs are so smart. and The resources that they have available to them are incredible, especially on the player development side. Um, and there's some like, I was just, we were trying to put this rundown together earlier and I was looking through the different conferences trying to be like, especially the power ones and being like, which one of these is the best conference? And I feel like you can make a case for almost all of them. It's like, which one of these is the deepest? Which one of these is the most loaded? And I just feel like across the board, just kind of looking at some of the teams and and the information that I do have and the things that we do understand about some of these teams and these schools is like, it's, I Try and pick one. The ACC is absolutely, I think, loaded this year. The SEC is obviously super deep. Um, you have the, I mean, the final last year was two SEC teams. I expect both those teams to be good again this year. Um, and just right on down, some of those, some of the other schools in that conference, the Pac-12, some really good teams in it. Um, so for me, it's it's more so. I can't wait to the, the beginning of the year is always excited because you can. If, if you pay close enough attention, you can start to see some of these teams trying to find an identity for most of them. It's like, all right, who are they going to be? What guys are going to slot into what roles, especially on the mound before they get into conference play? You know, um, I had a conversation with, I can't even remember where we were. It might have been Virginia Tech about kind of that. It's like we need to make sure that we know who we are and, and what our strengths are by the time we get into conference play because that's when stuff really starts. So the beginning of the year is always exciting. You get some really good non-conference matchups um, and you can kind of see these in, in which way they do. Yeah, and I think you, you brought up a really good point there when you said that the baseball is about as good as it's ever been, and that is 100% the truth. I mean, it's a multitude of things. You can combine things like player development, but you can also talk about the shortened draft, right? And being able to keep guys on campus or get guys on campus that typically wouldn't, you know, guys. But the reality is that player development is in such a good place on college campuses like the Wake Forest, like the Vanderbilts, that players are now entrusting these coaching staffs to develop them more than they would a pro organization, which is not what you would say even in the early 2010s. But nowadays, compared to the pitching labs, you could argue that the resources at majority of college programs is actually better than most of minor league facilities. You know, you're able to spend time getting one-on-one work in a pitching lab. Most of these campuses do have pitching labs nowadays. You're able to get a lot more work in off the field, whether it be individual practice time, things like that, that aren't as much of an occurrence at the professional level. So these guys are able to develop. And again, like the quality of baseball is just about as good as it's ever been. You know, when you talk about it at all levels, not just baseball, I mean, Chase Burns is throwing 102 with hop. Like that is unfathomable to think about. And in 2012, I think it would have been a stretch to imagine anybody in the country. Like Steven Strasburg was high 90s, low 100s, and that was like unicorn territory. We have two arms this year that are going to at least in the starting rotation that are going to be first-round picks sitting close to 100. That's not even to mention the fact that Michael Massey throws close to 100. So two guys on Wake's starting rotation could be close to 100. When we start to think about how talented these players are, college baseball is in good hands. Like If you want to watch quality baseball – College baseball is the place to do it. And you mentioned those two conferences. And I mean, it's just hard when you look at these preseason coaches polls or whatever it is, 
Mississippi State won a, a national championship post-COVID, and they're seventh in the SEC West right now in, in terms of the preseason rankings. Auburn, who's fifth, has been to multiple trips to Omaha. They always get rolling during the playoff times. Ole Miss has a national championship after Mississippi State, and they're sitting there at sixth in the preseason poll. That's because the top three teams are all top five teams in the country, five to ten teams in the country between Arkansas, LSU, and Texas A&M. And then you not to mention the talented Alabama team that nobody knows how they're going to do in the first year of a new tenure. And that's not even talking about the East Division, which, again, is not as loaded as the West is, but there's still a lot of really good baseball that's played there. And then, obviously, the ACC is pretty self-explanatory, but there's just so much good baseball top to bottom between those both both those conferences, but I mean, as much as I have nothing but love for the ACC and I'm probably more excited to watch the ACC this year, the talent that's across the SEC right here and now is, is unbelievable to think about two teams that have won national championships in the 2020s are both voted last in the, the coaches poll of their. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you look at Look at the SEC. Like you're talking about the depth of the SEC. The SEC East has Vanderbilt and South Carolina at three and four. And we were on campus in Columbia last year when they had LSU in town, and we know how talented and loaded, especially on offense, that team is. You know, you have a you have a two Golden Spikes Award uh, watchlist players, which I know we'll get into in a little bit on that offense for South Carolina. They're picked to finish fourth in their division. Like just the depth of that, and and um. When was the last time you saw Vanderbilt doesn't have a single all preseason all SEC player? Like we're talking about Vanderbilt, one of the premier programs in the country, not having a, a preseason first team all SEC like that. That's really deep. But then I look at that. I mean, and then you look at the ACC. I mean, look, NC State, I think reloaded. Now, I, I think their pitching staff took a hit uh, a lot. I think it was just this last weekend. Um, but like the. The depth that the, you know, Wake Forest, Clemson, and then Virginia, North Carolina. I think Duke. I've been hearing a lot of really good things about Duke. What's it take? What's it going to take for one of these teams to unseat Wake? Because like that, in my mind right now, when I think of the ACC, like that's kind of the biggest one, just because of obviously there's talent all across like all those SEC teams. But the fact that you just mentioned you have two guys who are going to be pushing the upper nine or up. Yeah, upper 90s in their weekend rotation. You have potentially the best bat in college baseball, power-wise, uh, possibly at first base in Nick Kurtz. Seaver King, who transferred. Like, you could have, I mean, Walt Men draft picks, which is crazy. I don't, like, what does it take for someone to be better than, like, is it just injuries? They're just ravaged by injuries and and. They can't overcome it. Is that the only thing? Or is there? do you think one of these teams, like there's enough talent in, in some of these rosters that – because I don't know. So I would say both. I, I think baseball is one of those unique sports where, again, we don't line up and go pound for pound and, and have to block each other and, and try to out-physical somebody. So I can't sit here and say – I mean, we've seen, we saw it last year with Wake. I mean, they got hot. 
They loved each other. They had a great culture. They had a lot of fun. And they rode a really, really good pitching staff and a really good offense all the way to almost winning a national championship and finishing third in the country. So could any of the teams within the top eight to ten? I mean, we're talking about Louisville, who is a national powerhouse as recently of the last couple years, being fifth in the Atlantic Division preseason. Yeah, somebody could. There's no doubt about that. One of those teams that has a strong culture kind of comes out of nowhere. We see it each and every year uh, with these programs is that like a top team that kind of outperforms what I guess would be deemed expectations because it does happen in baseball a lot. But on paper, if we're going to go, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's and and line each other up and try to play some bruising uh, seven on seven football here in the ACC, Nothing, right? Like the, that pitching staff, being able to ride that pitching staff to the point of, you know, just absolutely like there's no easy innings. There's no easy at-bats, you know, for these opposing teams. And if those guys perform like they should, like throw enough strikes and compete and their stuff is good enough to play, like – I can't imagine that anybody's pushing them to any serious degree. But again, this is baseball, right? This is one of those sports where, you know, again, it's not like Clemson is a slouch in terms of the even the Atlantic Division or even Virginia. They're both top 10 teams in the country. So, but again, when you talk about it, like the safety net for most programs is pitching. If you give me a pitching staff of those three dudes and and tell me like whatever happens with the bats, you just got to roll out and play ball with those three dudes. You're going to assume they're going to get there an opportunity to play and probably host a regional at the very least, right? Now, if you throw icing in the cake of also two really good players that are potential first round picks, not to mention Marie Houston taking a step forward and a ton of other good transfers that are really going to help this lineup as well, yeah. That's gonna be a tough that that that's gonna be a tough one and and I mean we'll get a we'll get into it in some storylines maybe where their imperfections may be but I mean that's too much talent I think for anybody to sit there and say today on paper that anybody's gonna finish ahead of them. Yeah, it's gonna be. I, I agree. I mean, I I love what they have. Obviously, what's going on there. They're consensus number one team in the nation. It'll be interesting to see now with the expectations. I mean, that was kind of a lot of the talk. Um, early on there was like, okay, now they have to perform with expectations. Last year they were, they kind of took the the country by storm. Now everybody knows that like everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows how loaded that roster is. It'll be interesting to see. And and like outside of, you know, obviously some of the major college baseball networks and outside of Clemson, South Carolina, how many people are talking about like Clemson won the ACC tournament last year. Clemson had 44 wins. Like, Coach Backage is now – like, he's he's settled in there. Like, that's that's going to be a much more interesting race. And then even on the other side, like you said, I mean, Virginia's Virginia, right? I mean, Virginia never seems to have a, a, a dip or a down year. And, and we obviously like a lot of what's going on with UNC. And as I mentioned a minute ago, um, some people are really high on Duke, especially on the pitching staff. And like you said, if that's – you know, if you can rely on the pitching staff and if you have a deep pitching staff, it can cover up so much – offensively in the sport like because run prevention is the name of the game and then you know we talk all the time like one guy clips a three-run homer and you got a guy on the mound who's who's throwing up zeros to win and are able to win games late um yeah that i just don't see 
Yeah, I don't see any. I mean, I don't see it. Wake to me, Wake just like the talent, like you said, it just jumps off the page right away. Yeah, and I mean, you brought up obviously Clemson being there in the Atlantic with them, and and obviously that's a huge piece of it is their talent level is top. And I mean, year two is when a lot of programs pop. You know what I'm saying? Like like that season last year, we talk about it like. You see it a lot of times with coaches in their first year. A, you can kind of tell how they are as developers, which was never a question of a guy who's able to win in the Big Ten consistently and take it to a college World Series final. But when teams start to play really well late in the year because it's kind of a hodgepodge group, you get the ball to feel each other out. We get in the spring. We face some adversity. How do we respond? Is the culture good? And then you get hot at the back end of the year. You see that with a lot of first-time coaches. But year two – turning the talent that they return in Clemson, man, it'd be like, again, they're the kind of group that I think of that when you, if you told me that like they just got hot and were like a, a 50 win regular season team and, and sitting there at 50 and 14 or 50 and 16 when we're, when we're calling it quits on the season. And, and obviously before the postseason starts, like I wouldn't be surprised by that. You know, I'd be a little bit more surprised about some other teams on that, but like, Clemson would be the one that I would identify as being like, oh, if this is going to be a blow-up year for a group, it's going to be them. And you brought up North Carolina, who obviously we have allegiance for, and they get some love here. And I'll be interested to see how that team is because it is a little bit more transfer-heavy than than people probably realize uh, between obviously our good friend Alex Madera and then obviously D'Onofrio as well. So being able to get those guys in there and then being able to tack on Vance Honeycutt as well, um, who should be healthy this year and should be pushing towards a towards a Golden Spikes level year and potential number one overall pick. It's it's interesting to see that they're getting as much love as they are, just because of the fact that there are some question marks there. As you know, quite frankly, like we love you, Alex, but there's still a question mark there of whether that dude's going to come in and and play and compete at a high level. I believe in you, but I'm surprised nationally that as many people are bought into to what they're doing, especially with Jake Knapp going down with the Tommy John and who's going to step up and how that rotation is going to look. But they're getting a lot of love. I, I do really like Duke in that side of the conference, though, as like could be this year's Wake Forest. Yeah, if their pitching's as good as 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 kind of expected, and and I mean they 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 remember how hot they got at the end of the year last year too, going into the tournament time. Like Duke was kind of going to be a scary out for a lot of people. So I, they would be interesting in the North Carolina thing. I mean, talk about transfer heavy and they, they like their pitching staff got a facelift. So it'd be interesting to see what's going on there too. Cause they, they have so many new arms on that roster and on that pitching staff. Um, yeah. I mean, like, look at the end of the day, you know, tournament time, especially in the conference tournament, we're a long way out from that. And so much is going to change between now and then, but like come conference tournament time, anything can happen that week. Um, you never know, but I'll tell you what, it, it, this is a like this conference is loaded. Yeah. So obviously there's going to be a ton of time to talk, especially about specific teams and, and as we go, but I got to ask you this, Dan. So obviously we want to show love to our friends up at some mid majors who, Who's the program that you root for the most when we talk about uh, mid-major programs and and trying to find some love and shine some light on them? There's 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 so many um, that I root for because of some of the connections we have, but um, I like 
I'm obviously really excited to see Campbell again. They're in the CAA. I unfortunately that that conference continues to change. It's probably not going to be as strong as it once was. JMU is obviously out. Delaware is going to Conference USA. Um, but Campbell for this year with Delaware still in there, I, I'm excited to see Campbell just because that's a fringe top 15 program out of the Big South. So, you know, you and I were talking earlier, like, has that boosted things? We'll see. You know, they don't, unfortunately, they don't play Northeastern this year, who is, um, you know, they got picked to, Northeastern was picked to win the CAA. Uh, Campbell's right behind them. They're not going to play in the regular season. That's kind of unfortunate. But that's that's a sneaky, deep mid-major conference. I like Campbell. I'm going to try not to take all of yours. So I'll just stick to to one more. And I'll, I mean, I'm so excited to see University of Delaware. I mean, I hit on it earlier because it's, a hometown program. Those guys are awesome. Mams is awesome. Casey's awesome. Tor's obviously awesome. He's been on the podcast 74 right. times. <laughs> and he's the man. Um, I can't wait to see what they got going on. Like Mams continues to build that culture. And I'm and, um, just talking to him a little bit about what he understood even for himself that he needed to get better at as, as far as being a manager and, and kind of running the entire show and not just locking in on the offense. I'll be really excited to see the steps that Delaware's going to take forward, and I'm going to be rooting for them in every series they play, that's for sure. I'd agree with that. I think that you did kind of step on my toes there. As a Sorry. as a Lillington native, I can't go very far without talking about uh, the fighting camels there. I'll be interested to see how they handle the step up in competition. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can rattle off another 40-win regular season here. Um, or if they settle in more in like the high 30s and and struggle a little bit with that transition because, again, the conference is just a little bit deeper. Um, And sometimes that's the biggest difference between winning, right? Those extra five to ten games that it takes to be fringe host versus obviously being a just slam dunk two that nobody wants to see. Right. And that's probably more of what we envision with Campbell. I mean, they were voted preseason number three. Um, so that shows that there's a lot of respect there. But there's obviously a couple coaches in that conference going, all right, boys, let's step up to the plate here. Let's see what your weekend rotation is able to to put out there. Let's see if we're able to to step up and play big boy ball on Sunday and, and go out there and and be able to beat our, our arms that we believe might be a tick better than those big south while also balancing a loaded non-conference schedule that Campbell also has pushed for, obviously, locally in North Carolina. I mean, there's not a, a school within a stone's throw distance that isn't ranked in the uh, in Campbell's area. So being able to balance those opportunities to play the Dukes, to play the UNC Chapel Hills, to play the East Carolinas and programs like that um, is going to be a lot of fun. And, and for the other two, um, both programs that are local to us, stone throw away, um, obviously Coastal Carolina. I mean, what a fun group to watch. I mean, their field is tiny. The wind seems to blow out, and they seem to absolutely live for that. I watched them play at Bowie's Creek this past season, in the 2023 season, and when I talk about a physical group of dudes, those dudes love the weight room. They got big forearms. They're big dudes, and they take aggressive hacks. Be interested to see if the pitching staff can step up. I was impressed with a couple of the arms they threw during that week, but – the lineup's going to score runs. They're going to be fun to watch. And then East Carolina. I mean, 
I want to get out there for a game. That's something we probably need to speak into existence a little bit more. Get out there, hang out in the outfield with the people that are always having fun, always enjoying the ball games, and just the group of guys that they have there. Obviously, Trey Savage is a first-round pick, and then J- Jacob Jenkins Coart is a guy that I I saw him play live, and like the first day I walked up to the field, obviously that's a little bit ahead because he's a draft year guy this year. Last year, he was not like a huge draft radar guy. And I was like watching the game with Danielle. I was like, that's what they look like. You can see him glide in center field. You like his swing. It's bat to ball first, kind of oppo focus. If he starts to grow into some power, I think he could be a guy that pushes himself into the top 50 range, maybe even some day, day one consideration. Really like the way he plays. So those are my two. It's easy to stay close to, to the Carolinas, um, to our friends up at Delaware. I got nothing but love for you guys. You guys know that. I apologize for picking one of uh, your CAA foes there in the fighting camels, but they also signed my paychecks for an extended period of time. So sometimes we got to pick and choose our enemies, and and I apologize. I think I still got love from from them, but those are those are probably the the ones that that I enjoy the most and and getting out to to watch play. And I'll just say, if no one's – you're talking about real quick the guys at Coastal that thump. If no one's seen Zach Beach, their first baseman. Swing a baseball bat. He's, I mean, I went down there for the uh, that Southern Miss series last year, and boy, that, that kid is impressive. I mean, he can swing it, and they have a couple guys. I mean, Bender's another one, obviously, who's an absolute yeah. stud. But Zach Beach, man, from the left side, just turn and burn. Turn and burn. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Golden Spikes watch list. Obviously, a ton of fun players to cover and a ton that we can't sit here and name all of them. A couple that stand out to me specifically, Sam Kulasingham. Just nailed that last name on the podcast. The pod. Sweat, sweating that one. Um, super excited for what he's going to do this year. Obviously, he's an absolute stud. Had him on the podcast. Just knows the game. Great dude. First and foremost, for anybody that didn't listen to that episode or didn't get the opportunity to talk to him off air, um, just absolute stud. Nick Kurtz, another guy that that we got nothing but love for. Um, Dad, Jeff, shows love to the podcast whenever it's up and, and we throw out our Wake Forest content. So obviously a huge fan of his. But the guy that I'm circling for this year that I'm super excited to see is Vance Honeycutt. Um, tool set in terms of evaluation, probably only realistic comparison is Byron Buxton, um, which if anybody who's followed draft for the last couple of years knows, like that's that's about as tooled up as it gets. Legit 80 grade defender, probably 70 grade runner. We've seen the power probably grades out as plus raw and in game. He hits him in bunches. Uh, the hit tool probably comes with some question marks because they do come in bunches. But if you're talking about a guy that I could envision having an absolute unbelievable, you're talking about you know, 25, 40, maybe 30, 40, if he could push those numbers. I mean, the tools are all there to do those things. It's just a matter of putting it on the field and him doing it. But I mean, he plays a great center field. He's going to be a fun guy to watch, assuming the health is there. But when he got hot during that freshman year, and even at the beginning of last year, uh, before he went down with those injuries, man, was he fun to watch. And it was just a human highlight reel each and every time you turned on a game up there in Chapel Hill. It kind of feels like if if they're gonna push for the ACC um, and push Virginia on that side of the ACC, it kind of feels like he almost has to play. You would expect that he's playing at that level, right? Like he's 
he's firmly in the conversation of like, okay, this is a no brainer first team all American type of guy who's, you know, getting serious consideration from the golden spikes and, and like Carolina's rolling and they're pushing Virginia for, for, you know, winning that division. It kind of feels that way. Doesn't it? No doubt. No doubt about that. Yeah. Um, can I give you, cause, cause, we have some betting odds. Can I give you a? I just I'm gonna give you a couple of names and some odds, and I'm I just want which ticket you'd rather be holding. Of Can course. I do that real quick? Yeah. Right, so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna give you four pitchers here, um, and I just want you to tell me which one first and foremost. Which one you would? Which ticket you'd rather be having? I think I know your answer on this, but we're just gonna see. Chase we get, Burns I'm right now. The, I'm getting the odds with it, right? Yep. 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 Okay. Yep. Just making uh-huh. sure. Just making sure. So you can get Chase Burns. I'm looking at right here. You can get Chase Burns at plus fifteen hundred. You can get Hagen Smith at plus twenty six hundred. You can get Josh Hartle at plus thirty nine hundred. This is an interesting one. Plus seven thousand. Those are your four. That is so an Breck from one. Iowa. Sorry for the listener. Birdie Breck from Iowa. Josh Hartle from Wake Forest. Hagen Smith from Arkansas, and Chase Burns from from Wake. So I mean, from an odd standpoint. Um, and we need to get into probably too much nitty gritty here. We don't have all day. Fastball velocity in the college game has a much larger impact than fastball velocity does at the pro level. So Breck's fastball, similar to what we saw with Skeens, when you're able to settle in the 99 to 101 range, it plays up compared to what it may play at the next level, right? It can be almost overpowering. So again, Breck's biggest question mark is the ability to throw strikes. I'm not worried about the fastball shape as much. So from an odd standpoint, the pure talent, I mean, you're talking about a first round pick that if you, if you lay a hundred on, you can pull away that kind of cash. It's gotta be him. Um, but from a standpoint of actually like evaluation, I think the one who's popped this spring from what we've been hearing a lot is Hagen Smith. I mean, he's a guy who was lower nineties for most of his career. Um, he was popping 98 to hundred this year, this spring so far from the left side. Again, one of the question marks about him is the ability to throw strikes. I think at the top now this year, I mean, it's a lot of guys that are like a little less polished, but like ton of helium potential, ton of uh, potential to just go out there and just absolutely dominate. So Hagen Smith, in terms of that value, that feels a little bit more realistic. Remember, Vegas always knows, and even in college baseball, you know, you can you can maybe pull a fast one on Vegas if you pay enough attention, but there's a reason Breck's sitting there with those odds and and maybe a favorable matchup. And Hagen Smith, I think, is the one that's probably a little bit more realistic with the value. But, you know, who knows? Maybe the backside ground balls will, will go halfies on a Brody Breck uh, Golden Spikes Award winner um, for for the for the pod's sake. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the plus 7,000 is where you get excited because of the juice. I just think – He's gonna have to be unreal because, like, it's it's so t- it's like talking about any of these individual awards is like, what's the criteria that the voters care about? Because Brody Breck could put up the numbers, but if I was, you know, not one of the if top Iowa five plays teams in the, the Big country, Ten, it right. could just come down to that. Correct. <laughs> Iowa played in the Big Ten, and I don't know if people remember, but Hagen Smith against LSU last year, like those when dudes, he's on that offense I mean, since- that. Yeah. That loaded offense was just frustrated. All it was a Friday afternoon and they were just he was frustrating them to death. He pitched his butt off. Yeah. I mean, even since his freshman year, like 
his stuff played up at 92. And, I mean, at 98 to 100, I mean, it's going to play. And, and I'll be interested the to see those. slider thing, yeah. Those, those, uh, those odds may go up the first time he steps on the mound and people start getting eyes on, on legit 98, 97, 98. And, and I think that uh, it might change some things there. All right, I'm going to give you a couple position players. I'm going to leave one of them out since you just you you highlight advanced honeycut, so I'm not going to give them two. So I'm going to give you a couple position players. JJ Weatherholt out of West Virginia has the second best odds at plus 800, which is interesting. If you talk about Brecht and, and the Iowa thing, West Virginia coaches poll in the Big 12 was picked to finish sixth in the Big 12, which is interesting because this could be one of those years where like look out for West Virginia just because of JJ and if he's playing at a level where you're considering him top two chance to win the golden spikes and a slam dunk first round pick top five type bat. Um, West Virginia might pay, finish better than six in the big 12. Um, Nick Kurtz plus eight fifty from wake forest, which we've named three wake forest players. And there's a fourth on this golden spikes watch list, which again goes back to our conversation earlier about how do you talent is crazy. Um, and then a guy who I feel like has gotten a little bit lost this preseason, but Tommy White is has the fifth best odds on here. Uh, yeah, fifth best odds at plus 1,300 from LSU. Obviously, he ended Wake Forest season last year. Um, everybody remembers the Tommy, T- Tommy Tanks when he jumped onto the scene as a freshman at NC State. Um, was an RBI machine hitting behind Cruz in that lineup last year. Um and then I'm going to give you one more here a little further down the list. Ethan Petrie, who's a guy that me and you kind of drooled over when we saw him in person from South Carolina, hit a million bombs, another bar ballpark where dimensions might be a little questionable. But you can get Petrie at plus 2,900. So a lot of those other guys have shorter odds. Petrie you can get at plus 2,900. South Carolina, it's going to be interesting. Again, SEC is loaded. South Carolina's picked to finish fourth. Um, I think some of that comes down to question marks on the mound. Because offensively, they return a lot of production. Petri and Messina at the top of that list. I'm going to have to go with, because uh, of all the topics that you covered there. Um, obviously, I think White is probably the better value there be- compared to Weatherholt. Because like you said, there is something that comes with being on the best team. And LSU is going to have a better chance to be a part of the best team. Um, but... I mean, based off of what we've seen and heard about Nick Kurtz this spring, like, I mean, he took Chase Burns deep, and Chase Burns has given up, like, two hits since <laughs> he stepped on campus, it feels like. Um, watch that live. Watch him go three bombs in one day um, off of – he went poolside, 3-2, hanging slider, oppo, low and away sinker off the over the wall – Pull side first pitch, get it on, get on, or get on time, get the head out, pull side bomb. He's probably up to eight to ten this spring. Um, the conversations behind the scenes there are not whether he's good enough to do it; it's whether he's using all of his tokens at this point. And I don't know if, like, I think there is a certain level that guys reach in terms of talent. And I'm just starting to lean on the side that Nick Kurtz is just that talented that he's just better than everybody else as a hitter. And I think at plus 850, I think 
I think that I would not be surprised. Now, the one that's tough there is obviously the the two way. It's like betting against Shohei Otani in the in terms of the MVP odds of like when this guy's pitching and hitting, doing both. It's hard to to kind of unseat that guy. But if it was just a position player award, I don't think anybody's going to compare to what Nick Kurtz is going to be able to do this year because the reports coming out of there is uh, it's loud. What's a realistic number of home runs to put on him preseason? 25 plus. Yeah. It's got to be, right? Like he could challenge he can he can challenge some records this year, I feel like with his power cuz it just seems I I'm I'm really starting to hate the term effortless cuz no it is. You're right. It won't But like you know what I mean? Like, like just that feeling of like the raw power and the strength that like when he makes impact and it's a lot like Tommy White. Like when you see Tommy White flick balls out to right center, you're just like, "Man, like how many can you like you're doing that with ease?" Like that's, I mean, I know you have a metal bat in your hand, but still. Um, and then real quick, I just want to ask you one because I think he deserves a lot more talk. Obviously, he's second on the on those uh, odds to win Golden Spikes. But JJ Weatherholt last year, for people who don't want to know, he hit 450 with a 1300 OPS, 16 homers, you know, 101 hits, and 24 doubles. I mean, he had 42 extra base hits last year. He's hitting, I mean, 450 is is kind of crazy. He struck out 22 times in 225 at bats. Like, yeah, he's my favorite player in college baseball right now. Um, outside of people that I like, clearly have a personal relationship with. Uh, shout out Dylan Biddle, my actual favorite college baseball player. Um, go Bolts, uh, JJ Weatherholt. I mean, this kid is. I mean, is he could be the first bat taken in the draft? Is that is that fair? 100%. I think it's fair. And I think from what MLB organizations have been leaning ter- towards in terms of preference over the last, uh, you know, couple years that he might be the guy that they fall in love with because there is an up the middle. I know he played a lot of second in the past. He's going to move over to shortstop this year to kind of showcase what he's capable of there. But when you talk about guys that, that MLB orgs dream on, you really start to circle those guys that have the bat to ball first and then also kind of highlighting some power. That's why a lot of people love Bazana too out in Oregon state um, is because you combine that power with the bat to ball first and just assume that, you know, I think it's a little overblown because it was very common in 2019 when we saw Christian Yelich kind of blow up with the, with the balloon baseballs across college or across major league baseball when they kind of juice them up. Um, so it's a little bit more important nowadays to see some power from those guys like the Robert Hassels of the world that were kind of high helium prospects at that point in time of bat to ball growing to power. But I mean, Weatherholt is no slouch in terms of the power department already. Um, so he's hit with wood at everywhere he's gone as well, hit for power. So, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. If he showcases he can play up the middle, I mean, you're talking about a left-handed stick, bat-to-ball focus, doesn't strike out, who also showcases power. I mean, there's a handful of players that are like that, but most of them are competing for for uh, all MLB teams each and every year. Does anyone – I was going to say, does, does as, as our uh, resident draft expert um, here on the backside ground balls, does the 5'10", scare anyone – away from anything or we just saw a five foot ten 160 pounder go six overall last year so it doesn't really not anymore i mean can you what's your 90th percentile 
exit velocity, what's your max exit velocity that checks the boxes with need. Everybody's got track man at USA and, and, uh, and Cape, Cape like can yeah. you hit with wood is it at, at the end of the day. It's interesting. I hope JJ J. Weatherholt on this side. So you have any other, uh, would you rathers or, or are we going to move on to storylines before we let our listeners get out of here today? Yeah, I'm going to give you your, um, pitching or just two guys that we, we haven't talked a lot about, um, but I'm kind of interested in ones. It might be an unfair comparison, but Cam Canarello is going off at plus 9,500, which is ridiculous odds. And Trey Yosevich is at plus 7,500, which is almost a little surprising for me to see Yosevich above Canarello. But again, if you factor in, if ECU is going to be a top 10 program in the country, what's Yosevich doing? I guess kind of break down which one there you would rather hold a ticket for. Yeah, I think that that's such a that's such an interesting conversation because the one thing that I come to with uh, with these co- conversations as well is only one person wins the award. So yeah. like when we talk about the odds, like I, I completely understand where you're coming from. It's like one of those things, but I got to go to Canarella um, just because he's just dynamic, right? Like just the the ability to to put up like bonkers numbers and and do that is just. That's sometimes the stat sheet does stand out, especially in a power conference. And it feels like he's almost in that that honeycut, like, yes, th- that feeling of that that the honeycut and t- t- plus ninety five hundred again. Like, do people not realize Clemson won forty four games last year and won the ACC tournament? Yeah, I think that would be the one that like I'm probably all bought in on on actually like throwing a a, a little bit of change on just because like how many times have we seen guys just absolutely blow up their sophomore year like again i mean the sophomore slump is definitely a thing but like you're talking about the potential number 1 overall pick in 2025 so like we've seen sophomores have great second years you know like why why not him right so everybody gets caught up in the draft buzz of the guys that are in front of you but like, if you told me that again, like he came out and put up crazy numbers, twenty plus homers, twenty five plus homers, pushing thirty, and you know forty stolen bases, you'd be like, and hit four fifty, you'd be like, that sounds like one to me. But again, I'm sure Caglianone is the runaway. One hundred percent, I think Caglianone is. But I'm just like Canarella had twenty four stolen bases. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that'll do. Yeah, again, again, on a team that could very well win their conference and be a one seed. Yeah, I mean that, and again, but like I said, it's it's even harder to win than an MVP. You know, that's true because there's it's a smaller. It's I, a I just guess league. I'm saying that that helps. Like again, that helps. And again, oh, Florida's yeah. going to be very good, yeah. and Florida could be doing that. And again, it's like just like talking, like you said, talking about AL MVP the last three years. It's like, well, yeah, no one else is. He's pitching every unseating. day and also hitting 40 yeah. bombs. Like, what are you going to do? Unseating the magician, that is. Yeah, because like it, it almost feels like if Caglino just gets a little bit better on the mound this year, like he, he's just showing. Yeah, I mean, even last year it was more streakiness than anything. If he wasn't mm-hmm. streaky, he would have been. Like, yeah. you look at his like blanket numbers, 31 bonnet mistaken you know, off the top of my head, like that's pretty good like in terms of doing both and pitching on weekends and, and being pretty dominant when you rolled out there. But it was like the highs and lows. People were talking about, is he, should he be in the rotation still? Should he not? Stuff like that that obviously comes into play. But, I mean, 
when you talk about like just being able, like you said, if he's just a tick better, it's like, again, like what's the minimum he needs to be in ERA? It's like, if he's a below a three, five with like oh. 400 batting average and 30 home runs, you're like probably a shoe in to win, you know, and like I, at a team that's number five in the country, top five. And, and maybe I shouldn't say this cause it like kind of discounts the last 20 minutes of what we just did. But like also a lot of it, like what matters is the the hype, the preseason hype, you know, nationally that you get. And like, I mean, everybody was like Dylan Cruz, like everybody knew about Dylan Cruz. You were hearing Dylan Cruz's name left and right. You couldn't look at anything college baseball without Dylan Cruz being like front and center going into last year. And now this year, that kind of feels like Cagley known, does it not? Mm-hmm. Draft matters too with it. Definitely For sure. too um, as well. But a couple of quick hitters here that I want to finish with. Um, so we'll start with, let's talk about Wake Forest, our good friends up in Winston-Salem. Everybody's got you on Mount Everest right now. What's holding Wake Forest back in Omaha this year? Baseball in Omaha. Like the fact that you go to Omaha and you have to, in order to win it, you're there for two weeks. It's a grind. Like, you get into one extra inning or long game and you, your pitching gets knocked out on the other side of the bracket. A team cruises. You get matched up with LSU, even though you're the consensus. Number. You know what I mean? Like just things like that where you saw, you know, they get matched up on that side of the bracket with LSU. And Tommy, you know, you have the, that all-time, all-time game. Rhett Lauder and Skeens. Tommy White obviously ends their season where it's just like that could have been – you know, easily LSU could have been doing that to Florida and maybe then Wake gets over the LSU hump in the final because they avoid skeins. Like, you just it, – it, you know what I mean? Like, I think that really, like, if they stay healthy and, like, I said this to you before, I don't know. Could Chase Burns be the best college pitcher this year we've seen since – like, could he be what everyone thought Kumar Rocker was, was supposed to be that year coming back at Mandy? Like, could that be what Chase Burns ends up being? And I don't – like if that's the case, and then oh, there's, <laughs> I can't imagine you get to Omaha and there's going to be three starters that good. Just and and at that point, some of these talented freshman arms they have that are going to be in the bullpen, one of which is pushing for a rotation spot, which is crazy, considering that rotation. Like, yeah, like I don't, I don't know. They they got don't give away what, trade secrets. All right. I didn't say who. <laughs> I just I just said that there might be a rotation spot. <laughs> so I'll give you my opinion here. Um pitching wasn't the problem last year, right? Their pitching was really good last year. The That's question true. is gonna be the ability to hit high level pitching, right? I mean, that was watching it. Nick Kurtz did not play that game. Completely a difference maker in a game like college baseball. You're assuming at least one and potentially two high impactful hits, even against the highest of highest level pitching in Paul Skeens. But that lineup against that level of pitching, right? Because Caglianone's up to 100. There's a lot of guys, Hagen Smith's up to 100. There's a lot of guys across the SEC that are upwards of high 90s, low 100s that can basically knock the bat out of your hands. And they put on a lot of good swings. But Omaha's outfield is spacious. They do not, the ball does not fly like it does in, in uh, at Wake Forest. And being able to hit high-level pitching, which is going to be this team's question mark, is not the Nick Kurtz or Seaver Kings of the world. It's going to be the depth, 
what are we getting out of our depth? And and Coach Walter said he likes the mix of what they have. Check out our interview with Coach Walter when we were down at Wake Forest. Check it out on the YouTube page. Subscribe as well. But he talked about how it is a good mix to have kind of that top-end talent plus some veteran depth and how sometimes that leads to the best results. But pitching wasn't the question mark last year. It was the ability to hit a pitcher like Paul Skeens, and you never felt like that team was at risk to put a run across or hit a home run like LSU had the capabilities of doing, right? If it wasn't Brock Wilkin, which he put a lot of good swings off of Skeens that day, if it wasn't Brock Wilkin, you just felt like it was eight other guys that were there to help and hopefully be on base when that swing came up, and that was what they ran into. And And I think that's going to be the question mark this year is I want to see their ability to hit the top of the top high-level pitching. And I don't even know if the ACC has guys that are able to replicate what you're going to see when you get to Omaha, assuming some of the guys that are at the top of some of these rotations, like Florida, like Arkansas, like Thatcher Hurd at LSU. And guys, because Thatcher Hurd came out of the pen that game really well and shut down that offense pretty well, pretty easily. And then obviously some other guys as well are going to be. So the last question I'll have for you, um, you know, one of the things was that last year became a storyline was Paul Skeens. Obviously he transferred from Air Force, um, our good friends out there in Colorado to uh, Baton Rouge and had a blow up year. He wasn't exactly a name that nobody knew of, but it was still unexpected when he, when reports were coming out that he was upwards of 98 to a hundred people started to get excited. So, who is a name that I guess is in the 15 to 30 range of MLB draft that could have that skyrocket level year where next thing you know, we blink and they're at the top of the draft board and it's almost like a slam dunk that they're going to be there. Did this, I didn't, when we went into this, I didn't know we would be talking about uh, draft guy. I apologize. I just thought you meant someone that was going to explode onto the scene. I apologize because my answer was a guy we just talked about, and that's Cam Canarella. I, I'm, I'm going to stick there. I mean, again, like I just think you look at it, Clemson won 44 games last year. Not a lot of people look at it. This kid is kind of like I think he could really develop into a player that has, you know, five tools and a guy that can be Oh, like you look up and we're halfway through the season. We're getting to conference play and everyone's like, he's been the best player in college baseball for the first six weeks of the season. Um, hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, so that was going to be my answer. Uh, I, I just think, I think this kid, like, again, kind of, I, I don't want to steal your answer here. So hopefully this wasn't it. But like in that same cup from that same cloth, it could be Vance Honeycutt. Yeah, and I think this one's tough because really the guy that I circled because we're caught up in this very big moment of everybody's getting videos of Chase Burns and there's a lot of helium, but like this is still the same guy that was out of the rotation at Tennessee and had to pitch out of the bullpen and felt the need to transfer to to kind of maximize his development and – I think that's more of a fifteen thirty guy. I'd be interested to see. I mean, when you throw a hundred two with that stuff and that movement profile, it's like you're going to be penciled into a top ten anywhere. But I wonder how. I wonder if there's more question marks about Chase Burns in actual draft rooms than there are in terms of our public perception of what he has been this spring, because it is unreal what he's been this spring. And it's hard not to get far after him where it's kind of like, oh, this guy is like that dude, right? Where like if he throws enough strikes, which I believe over his last two outings in the spring, it's like 
nine innings, 18 strikeouts, 10 innings, 19 strikeouts, one hit, no walks, two walks maybe. Um, and like I said, we watched him when Colin and I were out there and just punching tickets, right? Give him one mistake to, to Nick Kurtz, who's obviously a really good player. So I guess my gut tells me it'd be him. But at the end of the day, like he might be a little bit higher on those draft boards than we think. I think another guy, of course, coming out of that same factory that could surprise some people is Michael Massey, just because I love the profile of the fastball shape. He throws hard enough. Again, is he in the strike zone? His stats tell you that he freaking pounds the zone with strikes. He never leaves it. He's got a banger breaker. Like this stuff is there that like if he's pitching on Sundays again, you better have your knocks before you head to Winston-Salem or before they come to town because just chalk it up, boys. If we're if we're in the on-deck circle and any of those three starters are out there, just assume you're, you're knocking off the donut in the on-deck circle and going one for 15 on the weekend because that's going to be a nightmare between those three. But I think he's a guy that, like, pitch shape. Like, I could see a, a – you know, analytically driven organization falling in love with those profiles and, and maybe taking a, if he has a big spring, like maybe skyrocketing up into some top 10 conversation, which again, with Chase Burns and with the, the ever consistent Josh Hartle, fun, fun baseball in Winston-Salem this year. I wonder too, if it, if, if there's like an overshadowing factor that could potentially happen there. I'll typically, I don't know how much of that happens as far as actual draft rooms, but as far as draft coverage goes, it, I, I feel like that could happen. I let me ask you: Could Drew Beam be the guy now? Like, because the thing with Skeens was we didn't see Skeens at Air Force. You know, like we never saw Skeens. Like most people didn't see Skeens at Air Force. Then he gets to LSU, so we've seen kind of the warts on a guy like Drew Beam because he's been at Tennessee. But if you take out, I mean, if you take out the the like three starts i know you can't do that but if you take out the arkansas georgia and kentucky starts drew beam was really good last year he's always been really good so like i mean he's he's a guy yeah and he's a guy that came in with chase burns and chase burns as a tennessee kid came in with a lot of helium and potential and people thought he was going to be the guy drew beam did not have as much of a profile there and he's been better like Matter of factly, like I guarantee Tennessee fans are more fired up about keeping if they had to pick between Drew Beam and Chase Burns, they probably would have picked Drew Beam. And I don't know if that means anything coming from a fan base that's probably emotional over the breakup, but he's been more consistent over the college career than Chase Burns has been. And even you could argue Chase Dolander when those three have been in the rotation together, he's been the best of the three. So yes, is he as you know, enticing to the scout's eye of, oh, he throws a hundred or, oh, he has this big physical frame, which he's a lot bigger than I think he looks on the mound. There's a ton of strikes, good profile enough. There's hard enough um, and can command his breaking ball and, and things like that. And obviously that's sometimes what it takes to, to be a guy who skyrockets up and who knows, maybe there is a tick up in stuff this year. It's not like it'll be the first time where anybody ticked up in stuff and, and being able to uh, skyrocket during their draft year. Yeah. Ten- I feel like what's crazy, too, is we we just spent an hour and 11 minutes and we haven't talked about Tennessee. But we got well, plenty of time. Season's just started. Pac-12, RIP, yeah. the Big 12. Um, we haven't talked about anything from that standpoint so we definitely have a lot of coverage coming your way make sure you stay tuned 
um, as we go through that coverage and make sure you're you're supporting the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our YouTube channel. As I said, a lot of fun content there. It's not just podcast episodes. It's fun clips of our podcast. If you weren't able to sit down and listen to some of our episodes over the offseason, you can get caught up with a lot of good information or just find out maybe some episodes that you'd like to circle back and listen to. Make sure you subscribe and you can check out the unofficial visit, our facility tour series that episode three and episode four should be coming out over the next couple of weeks. And that will be Wake Forest University and Virginia Tech, where we were just at over the last couple of weeks. So make sure you're, you're looking at our YouTube page and subscribing to that. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, Make sure you're sharing 